It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. Who wants to talk sports? We do. From our Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center studios in San Diego. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host, the partner in crime, John Riley. We welcome you to our Thursday podcast as we go towards a great sports weekend. There are not enough hours in the day, John, to cover all the (laughs) topics we're going to put on the table, but we will try. How you doing? I'm doing well. We were just scrambling, fitting in more stuff right before the show started. Breaking stories here, there, and everywhere. We're going to talk baseball. We will talk NFL football. We'll talk big weekend college football. A couple of other storylines in the world of sports. But before we do, John, we've started something here that's kind of caught on. It's taken off. It's kind of like a grass fire out on the hillside. (laughs) It's called Fans Forum. So everybody who joins us on our live stream, can you just explain to them briefly how the Fans Forum works and then also about subscribing to everything we do on our Thursday podcast and our Monday podcast? Yeah, so Fans Forum is your opportunity to be a part of the podcast. We already see some guys jumping in already. Javier, Raul, Dave, asking about the Raiders and the Padres. And so we're going to get to you in the Fans Forum segment at the conclusion of Hacksaw's headlines, but you got throughout the whole podcast to drop your take. And if you want to do that, just type in your question or comment in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube, and we'll get you involved. Now, we want you to subscribe to everything we're doing. And we have some exciting news coming down road about expansions to what we're doing with our YouTube channel, but it only works if you're part of the team. So subscribe, share with all your friends, tell them what we're doing Thursday podcast, Monday bonus podcast. Then you'll get the alerts, ding, 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 when we add things on the other days to our YouTube channel. And by the way, give us a thumbs up. Give us five-star rating. We could use that. And if you like sports, see that address on the top of the screen. That's my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. There's an absolute ton of written stuff on it day in, day out. So we're kind of covering the waterfront as to delivering sports to you. John, let's talk baseball. The World Series is over. I'll ask you to give it a letter grade in just a minute. What'd you think? Bruce Bochy, man. I mean, that guy has got the Midas touch. I mean, it was a really entertaining series. At least game one was. But what did you think, Lee? Uh, good games. Nobody watched. All-time record low TV viewership in the history of the World Series. That's too bad. Because it was a, an exciting playoff run. Texas just had too much firepower, a little bit too much experience. Diamondbacks, they thought, ran out of pitching. Rangers' big bats just broke up the pitchers' duels that we saw. Uh, Texas, during this course of the season, they had 13 big innings in the whole year. I mean, they were smoking people with the home run ball, and they did the exact same thing to kind of derail Arizona. Uh, I think at the end of the day, Diamondbacks understood you can't hold the Ranger lineup down for a full nine innings. You know, they were no hit into the seventh inning of this last game. Zach Gallen was just dazzling. And then bingo, they got nine hits in the final three innings <laughs> as they kind of took advantage of the Arizona bullpen. Uh, Corey Seager's single started it. He, of course, won the MVP. And all of a sudden, it was single, double, single, and a one nothing lead. Then the four-run explosion in the ninth inning, thanks to Marcus Simeon's bomb. Nathan Evoldi, how about true grit? He had guys on base each of the first five innings. He was in so much trouble. I didn't think he was going to survive. 
And then Arizona went 0 for 10 with guys and runners in scoring position in the first five innings of that game. How about Bochi? Fourth World Series ring. How about Texas, the old Washington Senators? I remember them. You don't. Um, first in 62 years to win a world championship. And, I mean, how improbable is this? They go from 101 losses two years ago to 11-0 and on the road in this postseason. There's 11 straight wins on the road. And, man, they had so many good players. It was so cool to see Seager celebrate, see Adolos Garcia, Garcia become a superstar. How cool was it to see Bochy, Will Venable, Chris Young, Trav Jankowski, Ashby? I mean, it was just really neat. And Nathan Navaldi won five playoff games. Garcia had eight bombs and 22 ribbies in the series. So Texas earned it. Texas deserved it. Great to see Texas do it because of the Padres Alumni Association. And John Riley from Left Field thinks. <laughs> it was it was a lot of fun. Game one was amazing. I mean, the way the Rangers had that big comeback. But, you know, last night's game... If you're an Arizona a Diamondback fan, you've got to be so frustrated with all the runners they left on base. And Padres Twitter was all lit up saying, that reminds me of our team and the frustration we felt as a fan base. But, you know, Arizona had a great run. Texas was loaded. You know, they they paid big money for a lot of frontline pitching for that middle infield. Those guys are mashers. And Bochy just pushed the right buttons. So good on Texas to finally get a World Series championship. Now there's only five left that haven't gotten it. Yeah, and one of them happens to be down the road here at Petco <laughs> Park. Here's the sidebar question, and we can debate this going through the off season. Was there a better team that could have given Texas a better run in the fall classic? Was it Atlanta? Was it the Dodgers? Might it have been the Padres? Is there somebody out there that would have been better than an overwhelmed young Arizona Diamondbacks team. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, because the Phillies were just monsters, and then suddenly they went dark. Stopped hitting. Stopped hitting. Atlanta was rolling in the uh, whole regular season. Stopped hitting. Stopped hitting. The Dodgers, I mean, every one of these teams. But think about the Diamondbacks. They only finished a couple of games ahead of the Padres. You know, and the Padres had a few games against the Diamondbacks that could have gone either way. So, yeah, Arizona just snuck in and got hot at the right time, and you can't fault them for that. But, you know, Philly, L.A., um, Atlanta. Atlanta, all would have been stronger teams, probably would have given Texas a better run for the money, probably would have had higher TV ratings. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, this is baseball, and this is the way it goes. And, you know, good on Arizona for making it. You know, I, if, as a Padre fan, I wish we were the ones that made it to the World Series, even if we lost. Um, but uh, Texas, it was their day. It was their year. Congrats to the Rangers. How about the old Washington Senators and what they finally accomplished after 62 years? Well, isn't there two iterations of the Senators? Oh, there was the old Washington Senators that went back to the 1920s. Yeah. And then they moved. They became the Minnesota Twins. Right. Then... Major League Baseball, because it was the nation's capital, put a franchise immediately back into D.C., and that was called the Washington Senators also. And they stayed there for a couple of years. They became the Texas Rangers. They yanked that franchise out of there. That was like in the early 70s, yeah. I think. Yeah. And the history book were right. How did you describe Washington Senators baseball? First in war, first in peace, last in the American League. <laughs> 
that that's coming from somebody who is a baseball junkie who's right. seen a few more curveballs than you Just have in few. life. Yeah. Okay, so not a good World Series in terms of TV ratings. So the playoffs were just mystical with the comebacks, the home runs, etc. We go from that. We go to a story that's been simmering out there for months upon months, going all the way back to the Cactus League in spring training. Padres slash money. Yeah, I mean simmering. I mean the pot is over uh, overflowing with boiling water on Padres Twitter. Some people are convinced that this is doom and destruction. Other people are saying it's ah, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, what do you think, Lee? I think it is a big deal when you have record attendance, record revenue, record number of sellouts at very high prices, and you still don't have enough money to meet your payroll in September. That's of real concern. And this is, the, this is the story that was dug up by The Athletic. I was told from a different source, Padre Ownership tried to make a cash call amongst their investors at the end of August, and the investors said, no, we've poured enough money into this. In essence, it's almost a vote of no confidence to A.J. Preller. He was given a blank check, and he overspent it. And the, I was told the Padre investors said, no, we're not going to do another cash call, hmm. which then led the Padres to go f- to Major League Baseball, use a line of credit to get a $50 million loan. Now, I was told the Padres initially asked for $100 million, and the commissioner's offer said, no, we will get you, help you with the $50 million loan. So this is a big issue. The team has reasonable debt. I'm not going to say baseball did an intervention on behalf of of MLB. I don't know how deep the Padre financial crisis is, but it has to be some form of cash flow that they tapped out, that they spent it all. And here they are in September, not able to make payroll and not able to pay their bills and have to go get the loan. They didn't do anything illegal. This has happened other times, other places. But you, you look back. You know, the Padres luxury tax bill is going to be at $296 million. That's two fifty three for the payroll, and then there's benefits and everything that are stacked on top of that. Mm-hmm. So their total bill will be $296 million, which is over the threshold again. Yeah. So they're looking at probably a 30 to $40 million tax bill they have to pay because – they were at $296 million, which is a phenomenal amount of money for this marketplace. So that's a big issue. Uh, you know, the Padres' response is, we are not in crisis. We are responsible. Peter Seidler is still helping make day-to-day decisions, although Seidler's not at Pitco Park. Seidler did not attend the Major League Baseball meetings because of this health issue. You know, if you go back and look, them losing the $60 million TV deal with Bally Sports back in the spring. Baseball oh, yeah. dove in. Baseball gave him about $50 million total of the $60 million TV rights to ride him through the year. But that's a negative. They don't know what next year's TV package will look like under the MLB banner. Mm-hmm. MLB came in, started the streaming service. Uh, I thought the product on, on TV was exceptional. But we just don't know what kind of dollars it's going to trigger next year. And the Padres were counting on the $60 million per year 
as part of their payroll going forward with all the multi-year contracts that they signed that are back-end loaded. So there is an issue there. And it is it is kind of stunning uh, that that you drew 3.23 million all-time record. You had 61 sellouts, all-time record. You sold more than 3.3 million tickets, all-time record. And you're in this type of financial situation. All this now spins back to the two words that you and I talked about in March and April. The words are sustainability or the word is recklessness. All right, so I set I set the background of where they are, what they had to do, what may have caused this. And now we have a reduction of at least $50 million in payroll coming for next year's team, which means lesser players on the roster. Prices have gone up for a third straight year. You can only squeeze John Q fans so much. So uh, I'm not going to say they're in big trouble, but I just don't like the optics of what I see right now about how they've handled their finances and the fact that the ownership committee refused the request for another cash call. Therefore, they had to go to the banks to take out a $50 million loan. And John Riley says, And I say that, so far, I'm not that worried because businesses do this all the time, you know, where they have a line of credit and cash flow can vary a little bit. And yeah, I mean, that to me, that's a normal thing that large businesses will do. But the Padres, at the same time, they're spending like $20 million to renovate Gallagher Square. You know, they got a lot of other things cooking. It's not like they're short of money. Um, so to me, I, I think this is a mountain out of a molehill. Now, the proof will be in the pudding. I mean, when when it comes time to sign free agents to keep or trade Soto, we're going to really find out where this payroll needs to be. And if the payroll is drastically reduced, then, yeah, they've got a serious problem. But I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of waiting and seeing how this goes. You raise a really valid point that they have always under Seidler and a little bit before that with Fowler and Seidler as a team atop. They've always invested. I remember covering a press conference down there where they were putting solar panels on the roof of Petco Park mm-hmm. as a way to generate money or save money on electricity. Mm-hmm. Uh, the renovations they've done at Petco Park, rather than deferred, they kept doing things that needed to be done so the thing would not fall apart. Right. And you talk about Gallagher Square, that is an investment. You talk about the tailgate park parking mm-hmm. lot. And what that's going to become, that's an investment in land they own. So they have taken money and poured it in because there will be money delivered at the back end from from all these projects. That being said, payroll, obviously, now I'm convinced has to come down. And that means players probably won't be re-signed and other players, a.k.a. Soto Scott Boros, might wind up getting traded. So, But it is bothersome because historically in Padre ownership – there have always been cash calls to owners, and owners have always come up with it. And I was told this time did not happen. Wow. Well, I mean, we're going to find out how this whole thing evolves. But again, I'm not, I mean, I understand why people are, are hair on fire, you know, because this on its surface does not sound good. But again, I'm taking it in stride. I, I, I do, though, worry about Peter Seidler and his health yes. and how is that playing a role in this? Because if Seidler is the one with the deepest pockets putting money on the table, God forbid Peter Seidler is not part of the ownership group. I mean, then what? I mean, th- th- everything could go sideways for sure. So those are questions on our fans forum. We'll invite you now if you're a 
Padre fan, a baseball fan, jump on board. Question one that you can participate in the chat room right now by firing us a question. Would there have been somebody better in the National League to play Texas than the Arizona Diamondbacks? Which team would it have been? And question two, and this is a bigger question. Uh, I'm going to push your hot button here. How concerned are you with this financial story that has just broken uh, as it relates to the Padres? Out of cash, bank loan to meet their payroll in September, and what does it mean going forward? Uh, fans forum, jump on board because we'll we'll look at your questions. We'll take the best of them right at the end in fans forum. One other Padre angle story here. Yes, a couple of new candidates here for the managerial job. So let's break it down. Yeah, the Padres obviously have interviewed their in-house candidates. I'm led to believe that they've only looked at two of them so far. I don't know if the pitching coach Ruben Niebla is going to get an interview. He is under contract. Maybe they'll take a look at him. Uh, they are going to interview Phil Nevin. Uh, Phil, of course, was ousted uh, with the Angels uh, after going 119 and 149. You know, prior to that, had done a, a really good job in a bunch of different places in the minor leagues, notably with with the Arizona Diamondbacks in Reno, and before that in the Tigers farm system. They're going to sit and talk to Phil. Uh, they are going to interview Benji Gill. Benji Gill uh, is a, f- a longtime player. is a coach with the Angels. He has. Been in the major leagues as a coach with multiple teams. Got some Texas connections. He's only managed in Mexico in the Winter League. But these two guys, I'll throw a third name that's out there. I'm not quite sure how this has happened. Mark Katze. Evidently, Oakland is willing to let him interview other places. And this is a guy that's got a world of experience and worked extensively within the Padre infrastructure, Mm -hmm. then went to (coughs) Oakland, worked in their front office, became a coach, then became the manager, had a horrific season last year, not because of him, just because of what the ownership did with the the roster, the stadium, the decision to move to Las Vegas. Mark Kotze. Maybe they should interview him. I've been told that Katze has already been in Cleveland and just interviewed for the Cleveland Guardians job. And I think he's held in in high regard by a lot of people. And I'm not interviewing him because he's an ex-Padre. I'm interviewing him because I, I think he's he's got goods as a manager and as a coach and as a guy who relates to players and a little bit of a firebrand. So that's where we are right now. I'm sure there'll be a volume more names out there. General managers meetings or next week in Scottsdale. And I think we'll find out that Preller will be doing some interviews there too, at least first round interviews with the guys. You know, it's 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 interesting cuz Preller probably knows every one of these candidates. Sure. Uh you know, they, he has a relationship with them at various levels. He has people on his staff that know these guys really well. Um so the interview is almost like you know, just the process of this cuz I'm sure they've got a stacked order, one, two, three, who they'd like to have. Seems like Schilt is just such an obvious choice. Mm-hmm. You know, he's already there. He's a, he's part of the organization. But Kotze is interesting because, you know, he, that dude has suffered in Oakland. No one deserves that. Um, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of rooting for Phil Nevin. I mean, not only because I see him over at Poway High at the ball field supporting his kids, He's a good guy, and I, I know he he belongs somewhere. If not as a manager, then definitely in a, a third base coach or bench somewhere coach. bench coach. He's a guy that is you know you talk about accountability. That's willing to speak out and call out players for not stepping up. That's Phil. He held the Angels together. I mean, if you look not at the one loss record, 
you don't even look at, they had some really hard losing streaks. I think they had one stretch, they lost 14 in a row. He glued it back together and they got competitive despite all the injuries, despite the kid pitchers, etc. We had a ways to go. I don't think they're going to name a manager in the next 20 minutes or so. Before we go from baseball to the next topic on the table, a reminder, our podcast is brought to you by Dixon Line Lumber and Home Center Stores. You know, there are nine locations into San Diego. And it doesn't matter where you live. There's a Dixie Line store near you. And it doesn't matter what the project is you're going to work on. Visit Dixie Line. Talk to the pros. Tell them what you want to do. Take a tour and then place your order. Build it or fix it. You will enjoy it at Dixie Line Lumber. We go from baseball. We're talking hoops. Hoops. Okay, so it finally went down this trade for James Harden to the Clippers. Is this going to work? Nice question in the headline. (laughs) Did they need him? He brings firepower. He brings experience. He brings leadership. He brings selfishness. He brings an image of creating instability. He's a star with a track record, 24 points per game over the course of this really good career. But he's a troubled star in the past. How he acted in Houston, what he did in Brooklyn, the end result in Philadelphia. Now, here's the question. Last I checked, John, the NBA rule says only one basketball on the floor at a time. (laughs) How are you going to distribute the basketball to all those guys who need the basketball? Harden surely needs it. Kawhi. Paul George, Russell Westbrook. So is he coming in to be a shooter or coming in here to be a distributor? Are there enough balls there? Here's a wild card question, though. Think about this. Not only you're getting a firepower guy with great experience, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe they made this trade as an insurance policy. Yeah. If one of those other stars breaks down again, and Kawhi and Paul George have had devastating injuries over the last three years. If one of them goes down again, then you got Harden's 24 points per game offense kind of replace their offense. Now, I don't know how the chemistry with Harden and Russell Westbrook works. One guy comes off the bench, the other guy has to be the starter. The other intriguing thing, did they really give up anything? They gave up four forwards. All of them who were guys on the bench had come off and play. Mm -hmm. Marcus Morris and Robert Covington and uh, Nick Batum. Um, I don't think they gave up much. The number one pick is way down road. Who knows whether we're still going to be doing this podcast when that number one pick comes up (laughs) and where that number one pick will be. And the number two picks aren't worth anything. And they do have to sign him to an extension. He's making 36.5 this final year of the contract before free agency. That's not a problem. I mean, I know you got a lot of money, not as much as Steve Ballmer, who's worth $88 million. So I don't think that's a problem either. So is it a, is it a great acquisition? I don't know. What are you getting? Toxic talent? Is it a quality acquisition because he becomes an insurance policy? Did you get an all-star, 10-time all-star? And you didn't really give up anything. So at the end of the day, John Riley, good deal or bad for the Clips? Well, I mean, if you just look at the surface level of the deal, one would say it's probably a good trade. I remember when they got Marcus Morris and Clipper fans were excited, but he wasn't that big of a difference maker. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those other guys, you know, Covington, they're, they're, they're role guys. The, the issue here is, is that they must have had a conversation with James Harden to talk about what his role was going to be, because he can't expect to be the, the primetime guy when he's surrounded by these other Hall of Famers. So hopefully they've worked out a system where 
you know, he's going to have his own role that's going to be complementary to other guys' roles. And I don't know if James Harden has the ego to do that. So we're going to find out. The insurance policy angle is an interesting, you know, part of the story. And I, I think it makes sense because if Paul George and Kawhi get injured in the middle of the year, you need somebody to carry you through, hopefully get those guys healthy for the playoffs. But I don't know. I mean, just this this recipe could blow up in their face. There's a track record. This is a unique chemistry experiment. But just what scares the daylights out of me is his track record and how he's acted every place that he's gone. And if you think Kyrie Irving is a problem player, this guy is right on the same plane with Kyrie Irving. Love me, love me not. Happy, I am not happy. Give me my money. (laughs) Only time will tell. Okay, that's another question on fans' forum if you're an NBA fan. Did they need him? That's a good headline. Jump on board. Join us in the chat room. From that, we'll go to college basketball. College basketball, passing of one of the big names in the sport. He had disappeared off the horizon over the last two years. And, you know, it was one thing he went into retirement. It was kind of forced retirement when Texas Tech removed him as head coach. And he just disappeared. Um, he, he turned down all these opportunities to go back to Indiana when Bob Knight was about to be enshrined into the Hall of Fame, he did not show up for his own Hall of Fame enshrinement ceremony. Mm. Uh, he was involved in fundraising for a while, and then he just was gone, MIA, in terms of being on somebody's radar. And all of a sudden, we find out now he's had Alzheimer's the last two years. He died at the age of 83. Combustible and a winner. No doubt about that. How do you describe Bob Knight? Volatile voice in basketball. 29 years at Indiana. Three NCAA titles. The last unbeaten season ever in college basketball was his team that had Kent Benson and all those brawlers. Uh, Went to the NCAA tournament 24 times in 29 years with the Crimson and Cream. I was at Army when he started his career. Finished up at Texas Tech. Guy hardly ever lost. His composite record, 902 and 371. Wow. Phenomenal. And he won three NCAA tournaments. Stood for a lot of good things in college athletics. He acted really badly. You know, I close my eyes and the picture pictures that flash through my mind. Bobby Knight, the chair-throwing incident with a referee. <laughs> Bobby Knight choking one of his players. Yes, yes. Bobby Knight at practice with a bullwhip in his hand yes, looking yeah. at an African-American player. And obviously the stupidity of the incident in full view of everybody walking across campus when a freshman student saw him come and said, hey, Knight. And Bobby poked the guy and chewed him out for using his last (laughs) name. He feuded with teams. He feuded with coaches. He feuded with the media. He was a hell of a guy. He was just driven. And, you know, when you think of the modern day greatest coaches, he was surely different than John Wooden. He was very different than Dean Smith, his closest ally and friend, almost his brother in in basketball is Mike Krzyzewski, and their personalities are so, so different. But he was a hell of a coach. I think the saddest part, it didn't have to be this way, but he couldn't control himself. And it was interesting because I thought about you last night thinking about this segment, and we (laughs) talked extensively about how great Woody Hayes was. Oh, yeah. And what happened to Woody Hayes at the end. Yeah. What happened to Joe Paterno at the end. I mean, we're talking about mm. great people who did phenomenal things for student athletes, phenomenal fundraising for the universities. 
and it all ended really badly. Bob Knight's name goes on that list too, but hell of a coach. I dealt with him twice, interviewed him twice. I thought he was a bully. I thought he was condescending, but that was him, so it was okay. God, this, this is such a mixed bag, this guy, oh, you know? Yeah. And, and, and you know, Paterno, his situation was different, of course. And and um, and who was the other example? Woody. Yeah, Woody, of course. Well, he would, like, try to tackle a guy, run it down the, the sideline. Sure, a bunch. So, but the, the thing that – there's a number of things that surprise me about Bobby Knight. Um, first of all, obviously, you can't question his, his track record and his national titles. He's a great coach. Um, I'm – when I, I did the math and I, I was like surprised that he was only 83 because when he won the national championship in 1976, he must have been a very young man, mm-hmm. maybe in his 30s as a head coach. Like, yeah, good on him. But, you know, I, I go and have visited my wife's family in Indiana and in Indiana, Bob Knight is weird. He's like the pope. I mean, <laughs> in my my um, wife's aunt and uncle's living room, they had a framed picture of Bobby Knight, like right there above the couch. And you're like, whew, you know, it was like, uh, it, and it kind of fits sort of like that conservative, you know, Indiana country kind of a culture, you know, he kind of meshed with that. And I think that's why they loved him there. But the bullwhip thing really bugged me. I, I saw he brought the bullwhip actually to one of the press conferences and was just laughing, showing it to all the reporters. And you're like, dude. What are you doing? Stepping over the line here. Yeah, just a little. You know, so, you know, to me, he's a mixed bag. It's obviously sad that he passed. Um, but I, I hope we see coaches that are maybe better men and still have that kind of great track record and winning record. Well, I think he was a great man, but he was out of control. Yes. And at the end of the day, I close my eyes and I think Indiana basketball I think of Hoosiers, the movie, and I think of Bob Knight. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Now, what the was funny part of it is, is that he he didn't, like, did he recruit Larry Bird or Larry Bird was on the team and left? Or how did that go? Larry Bird wound up at Indiana State. But there was something going on with him and Bob Knight. I think, I think Larry Bird went there, didn't like it, and left pretty quickly yeah, to go, and went yeah. home. He That's was from Terre Haute, I believe, and uh, he had a family issue with a, a baby and... IU was just too big, so somehow he wound up at Terre Haute in, in, at Indiana State. And look what he did that one year. He took them to the Final Four with Magic Johnson. The Michigan Sycamores. State. Yeah, the Sycamores. <laughs> hey, we get to halftime. We're going to continue in just a minute. You got a question, a comment about Bob Knight. Join us on the fans forum. Just respond. Uh, tell us what you think about what he meant to college basketball. How great was he? I want to tell you about Dixon Line Lumber and Home Center stores. There are nine locations to serve you in San Diego County. And, you know, if you're thinking of plans to do renovation leading towards the holidays, think Dixie Line Lumber. Get fall projects and lots of savings as Dixie Line Lumber right now. They offer doors and windows and decking and kitchen and bath cabinets, countertops, and even holiday lighting products. Check out the great group of values they've got. Go to DixieLine.com and also check out the Dixie Line gift card values that are up to $600 with the purchase of selected doors and window products. Hey, fix it, build it, you will enjoy it. These are really special people. Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Stores. 
We go to the second half of our Thursday podcast. A reminder before we're done, we'll go to Fans Forum. And John, remind everybody about subscribing to our YouTube channel so they'll get all the information about what we are doing on a day-by-day basis. Yeah, sure. So be sure to like, follow, share, and subscribe to all the Hacksaw content. You know, we got the YouTube channel that's just blowing up. Instagram is also just exploding with followers and views of video content there. But Hacksaw's got content on Twitter, Facebook, um, YouTube, threads, TikTok, TikTok. Yes. And we got to get you on a couple more here still. But so subscribe wherever you can, but especially YouTube, because that's where the best podcast content is. And you do have our permission to give us a thumbs up. You do have our permission to give us a five star rating. And by the way, you like sports, check my website. It is all written. It's different every day of the week. LeeHacksawHamilton.com. All right, we've covered a lot in baseball, covered the big stories in basketball. It's time to cover this, that, and everything else in the NFL. The Raiders, you know, are in the headlights here. Boy, they've had a hell of a week, I'll tell you. House cleaning. Uh, Raiders fire their coach, fire the offensive coordinator, fire their general manager. Hell, they ought to fire the owner, but that's not going to happen. A year and a half of failure is over. Josh McDaniels has been booted out. Boy, is his career plunged again for the second time. Uh, The offensive coordinator, Mick Lombardi, was ousted. The general manager, Dave Ziegler, had been there for a year and a half. He's gone. They leave behind a mess. A year and a half of failure. As they play this weekend, they're 30th in offense, 30th in scoring, and 31st in defense. And they have given up on Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy G has been demoted to third string. You look at their modern history, failed draft, failed in free agency, failed to develop young players, unrested quarterback, paying a mountain of money to Jimmy G, to Josh Jacobs, to Devontae Adams, and they got a pedestrian offense. Some hideous losses this season. McDaniel, 9-16 and with the Raiders after going 11-17 and with the Broncos, 20-33, and he's done. The most staggering thing is this is another coach off the Bill Belichick tree that has failed miserably. And he had two kicks at the can, so he's done. It'll be interesting to see where they go. I'll throw a name off the top of my head because he's had a bad week too. Jim Harbaugh, University of Michigan. Mm -hmm. If he's removed, it might well be that Mark Davis makes a run at him and Harbaugh, who had success back with the 49ers. And at Stanford, maybe he jumps back in to the National Football League. But that's where we are. I wasn't shocked, and their play just got worse and worse and worse. They had a 20 nothing lead in the game to Arizona, and they lost it. They got creamed by a Division II quarterback in the Chicago Bears. Last week, they got mugged by a Lions team, and they were just incompetent. Garoppolo has been hurt again. Despite his one-loss record, his statistics are terrible this year with the Raiders. The running back, Josh Jacobs, big money contract, over $13 million. He held out, hadn't done anything, paying all this money, Devontae Adams. And that head coach targets him one time in a game? you got to be kidding me. So that guy was in over his head as a head coach. That was a bad hire. It's like all the other things Mark Davis has done. Not very good. Your response to when a story broke at 
midnight early this week. Like it's about time, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I was surprised, but happy that they got rid of the GM too, because they clearly don't have a good strategy here. I mean, Devonte Adams, great player. Josh Jacobs used to be a good player. Jimmy G is the guy that, you know, a good game manager. He's not going to win the game with his athleticism. But, you know, when he was with the Niners, he was complimented by so many great skill guys. He could kind of quarterback that point guard, that thing down the, the court. But Devontae Adams was just incensed how angry he was with how he was being used and how frustrating it was because Garoppolo was so, you know, off you know, off target with his throws. So, you know, at least when the Raiders had, like, back in the day, you knew that they were going with a vertical game. They had these monster guys and sometimes a little bit of bad character in there. Oh, you think? Yeah, you think. And and so they had sort of a, a persona, a culture, a brand. Now, what does Raider football stand for? It's just, it's just a mishmash. Here's a sidebar story that just kind of leaked out today as we were coming on the air with our podcast. Mark Davis held private meetings. With Garoppolo, Josh Jacobs, Devontae Adams, and Max Crosby. Oh. And they all spoke out against McDaniel. Now, I don't know, in all honesty, if ownership going to individual star players, if that's a good move in terms of credibility. But he did. And when he heard all this stuff from those guys within that locker room, he hit the eject button. Okay, now that being said, let's talk about the guy they didn't get rid of. Let's talk about the owner. Oh, the owners. Okay. Mark Davis, this guy is like a cartoon. I mean, what is he thinking running this franchise? Silver and black failure. Nice headline. Mark Davis, you're not your father. That's for certain. Mark Davis, you're the owner of one of the biggest embarrassments in modern day NFL football. Under his guidance since he took over, I think it was in 2011, two winning seasons. In 13 years of ownership with the Raiders, 82 and 120 while he's run the franchise. Uh, He's about to get his seventh head coach in a 13-year window, no stability whatsoever. And of course, prior to that, before his dad died, Al Davis wasn't much of a success either at the tail end of his Hall of Fame career. They were 90 and 182, John, before they moved to Las Vegas so all the years of greatness, that's way in the past. Um, I wonder when Raider fans are going to revolt, or maybe they're just too bleeping drunk to understand how bad the product <laughs> is on the field. Silver and black is the silver and bleak. That guy shouldn't be owning an NFL franchise. No, yeah, I mean, this guy is ridiculous. Um, so, again, I go back to the, my comment earlier. Is that I don't know what their strategy is. I don't know what they're doing. Um, now, it is out of sort of protocol for the man or the owner to interview those frontline players. But you know what? If if I were a CEO of an organization and I could talk to some of my, maybe my top salesmen, you know, some of my other top performers that aren't necessarily vice presidents, then I think that's in their right to do that. They got to find out how this thing is working because if they're only depending on what trickles up through the org chart, they're only going to get the good story. They're not going to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. So I don't fault Mark Davis for talking to Crosby and Jimmy G and everybody else. But clearly, Josh McDaniels was not working here. And you say another failure from the Belichick tree. I mean, look at Belichick without Brady. I mean, he's a failure too. So maybe that tree isn't as good as we all thought. Interesting.
Speaking of bad owners, we got another topic on the table about somebody that maybe shouldn't own an NFL franchise. Oh, God, this is an awful story here about the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, ESPN did an in-depth report on Michael Bidwell, who's been under investigation for a toxic workplace culture, and now it just gets deeper and deeper. ESPN this week broke this story, quoting 36 employees about this hostile work environment. There was a toxic culture of alcoholism at the top, mismanagement, mistreatment of a wide variety of players. The deposed president wrote a letter to the owner, quote, Your negativity has sucked the life out of this organization. Your treatment of your upper-level employees has eroded our resolve to be good. Amongst the allegations, he made two pregnant women cry, got involved in a racially tinged argument in the parking lot with a black scout over a parking space. He continued to denigrate employees. One who parted the team said, you work for Bidwell. You are either the enemy of Bidwell or you're about to become the enemy of Michael Bidwell. Uh, How the NFL could allow this garbage to go on with the Cardinals after dealing with all the garbage that was Daniel Snyder and the Washington Redskins hyphen commanders, it's just beyond me. Now, maybe somebody has to sue him. Maybe somebody has to sue Bidwell uh, for (coughs) sexual harassment, toxic workplace. Maybe it has to become that bad before he gets removed. But this sure looks like a bad citizen. Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, isn't Bidwell, didn't his father own the franchise prior to that? Three generations. Three generations. The old Chicago Cardinals going back to the mm-hmm. 1920s. Then they moved to St. Louis. Charles Bidwell died. Bill Stormy Bidwell took it over. He was incompetent. Right. Moved it here. Son replaced the father. Son obviously got to a Super Bowl, but there's been a lot of turmoil, a lot of turnover, and now this. This is pretty bad. It is. Like I, I've heard bad stuff about the son. I've heard bad stuff about the father, the, the grandfathers before my time. But yeah, just this pattern of just insanity. I mean, you can't imagine if, again, I use an example of a CEO of a major Fortune 500 company and you're berating pregnant women, you're getting into a racial fight with some guy out in the parking lot. I mean, that don't fly, you know, especially in 2023. So the, it's no surprise that the franchise is just a disaster, you know, on the field as well as in the owner suite. And why the NFL allows this to go on and on and on with a select group of bad people. Yeah. We're not talking about the Roonies in Pittsburgh or the Maras mm-hmm. in New York. I mean, we're talking about some people that have done a lot of despicable things. Maybe it's going to take a lawsuit. Michael Bidwell still owns his team. His team is one and seven. His team is an absolute mess. We go from that football story to what happened this week. Yeah, big trades in the NFL. We talked a little bit about it last Monday. What went down, Lee? Well, there were a total of eight trades at the trade deadline on Tuesday. There were a total of 12 trades leading up through the trade deadline. Washington really surprised me. The Redskins traded away both their defensive ends, both fairly high draft picks. Marquez Sweet went to the Chicago Bears for a second-round pick, and that's going to be a high choice because the Bears are bad. And then in a stunner, they traded Chase Young. He went to the 49ers, but all they got for him was a third-round pick. Now, he's really struggled coming back from knee surgery, though he's playing better. Both those guys are on the final year of contract, so you know it's Chicago and San Francisco are going to have to lay out some big money to re-sign them. But in essence, Ron Rivera's franchise just kind of waved the white flag. I mean, one of their fortes was a really good 
good defensive line. Now two of their four starters are gone. And, of course, leading into the trade deadline day was the huge deal the Seattle Seahawks made with the New York Giants. They got Leonard Williams, and he is big. He is a stud. He's a pro bowler. Uh, they, they had to pay a steep price, steep price to the Giants to get Leonard Williams, a second and a five. And Arizona, which lost its quarterback, Kirk Cousins, with a ruptured Achilles tendon, they were shopping to try to find another quarterback. But at the midway point of the season, you need a quarterback who's playing, who's been in the system and is in game shape. You you know, if you go get somebody off the street as a veteran free agent. Kaepernick. <laughs> well, anybody, anybody who's unemployed, it, 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 it'll take you three to four weeks to get them in game condition. Yeah, so sure. your season's gone. So Arizona trades for Josh Dobbs, the journeyman backup quarterback who had just gotten benched by the Arizona Cardinals. So the, the loss of Kirk Cousins is devastating uh, for Kevin O'Connell there. So, the, you know, eight trades, uh, total of 12 total leading up and through the trade deadline. Your reaction to Washington kind of waving the white flag. Well, it might not be a bad move on them because they just need to stockpile draft picks. Sure. You know, they're not going to win this year. They'd be lucky to make the playoffs this year. So you may as well just kind of, you know, what did they do? It was like... uh, they called it what they called it in a, a, in a baseball and basketball. What was it like a dumping a season or uh, fire sale? Fi- yeah, so maybe they're doing that. I don't know. But do the Chargers or Rams make any big deals here? The Chargers no. don't know usually trade. That no, often. Tom Telesco does not have a history doing anything at the trade deadline. Uh, the Rams historically have always made a lot of trades, and they've traded draft picks away. They got their Super Bowl team. Team got old. Team had a lot of. High contracts. They traded some of those guys away. So the Rams have stockpiled a, a bunch of draft picks, and they won't say it, but they are. They're in rebuilding, and now their quarterback is hurt too. Okay, we go from there. Cool weekend of games just ahead of us in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, some big games here. I mean, I, I'm, I, it's going to be really exciting to see how this all plays out. Yeah, I don't know what you're doing Sunday, but don't bother me. Don't bother him because <laughs> we're going to be watching games. Uh, let's start with the Chargers. Uh, this might be a tougher game than anybody realizes. They go play the New York Jets uh, Monday night game. Uh, Justin Herbert versus a pretty good Jets pass rush defensive front. Herbert, of course, has got 13 touchdowns, four interceptions, continues to play with a broken digit finger and a splint on it. Um, this is a Jets team, and this is hard to believe. As, as bad as they are after the, after they lost Aaron Rodgers, the Jets have won three in a row. Nice. They beat Buffalo and they beat Philadelphia. The Jets have wow. won three in a row. That's, wow. <laughs> yeah, wow is not the phrase I'd use. Um, offensively, they're still meager, 273 yards per game. Defensively, they're pretty rugged. Their front it causes a lot of problems. They're giving up only 329 yards a game for Robert Soleil. I don't know what to make of Zach Wilson. He has stretches where I said, oh, geez, a guy's in over his head. All the stretches, he gets them down the field. He He's improved during his three-game win streak. He's only got five touchdown passes. He's got eight turnovers. He's been sacked 24 times. Now what's changed in New York is Brees Hall, young running back who was having a tremendous rookie season last year before a tour knee ligament. He's back. He's averaging 5.7 yards per carry. I don't know, you know, the Bolts, they got 23 quarterback sacks. Uh, they got 12 takeaways. That's good. But they've also given up 12 touchdown passes, and they give up massive chunk yardage <laughs> plays. They do. That's why the Bolts are 31st in defense and 32nd in pass defense still. 
So I don't know whether Zach Wilson's going to go crazy or not. Thoughts? Well, I'm, I'm thinking about uh, all those sacks, and I think Khalil Mack must have had half of them in one game, right? I mean, so you know, it's interesting. I kind of rooting for Zach Wilson, you know, because he, he was the starter, benched. Everyone said it was a failed draft pick. Aaron Rodgers comes in. He's out. He gets thrust back in. And you're thinking, okay, let's root for this guy. Meanwhile, he looks like he's 15 years old. I don't Mm -hmm. even know if he shaves. Um, But it, I don't know. It's just, it's nice to see the Jets being somewhat relevant, you know, because the Giants surely are not. No, no, but at least the Giants have had their moments. The Jets, the only thing I usually hear about the Jets is the old NFL draft when they had it at uh, Radio City Music Hall and all the Jets fans would be in there. But uh, yeah, you know, the the Chargers should win this game. Is it in New York? Oh, yeah. Monday night, Meadowlands. Monday night. Oh, wow. Big game. Okay, we go from that. This is one you won't want to miss. Chiefs, Miami. How about that? Kansas City, number four in offense, number four in defense. Miami, number one in offense. Dolphin offense under Tua, 453 yards per game. And they're running the ball. He's thrown for 301 per game. Their backs are averaging 151 yards rushing. Miami goes up and down the field. Now, Kansas City, 351 yards in offense per game, 47% third down conversions, but Mahomes and those guys have turned it over 16 times in seven weeks, which is really stunning. You got one quarterback that completes 70% of his passes, Tua. Mahomes completes 68%. Tua's got a quarterback rating of 108. Wow. And we've thought that Kansas City's defense, it's faster, it's improved. That's Tyreek Hill. Averaging 16 yards per catch that you're going to have to defend. And the other guy on the other side, Jalen Waddell, is averaging 13. So I guess there's, there's a burning question here. Miami got mugged by Buffalo and Philadelphia. How are they going to hold up with the Chiefs? Now, if they win this game, John, they've got five easy games in a row Miami does on the schedule. Hmm. So this this is a turning point in, of them being the elite team in the AFC, if they can beat these guys. Chiefs, Miami, put some new batteries in your calculator. If you're going to keep <laughs> stats, this can be a hell of a game. Well, it, the first question, of course, is, is Taylor Swift going to be there? Yeah. That's the difference maker, right? Um, you know, the, the Chiefs are a fantastic team and, you know, they're the defending champs, but the Dolphins are a more fun team to root for right now because Tua, you know, he had all those concussion problems. So you want to see him have success. Um, and their, yeah, their offense is dazzling when they're on, but they've got snuffed a few times. So we'll see how this one goes. And, and then, yeah, you'd like to see, I mean, if the Chargers have any shot, the Chiefs need to start losing some. So we'll see how this goes. Big game, Seattle, Baltimore Ravens out on the West Coast. Uh, This is a Seahawk defense that is going to be really improved with Leonard Williams inside. So this game probably is Leonard Williams, a defensive tackle versus Lamar Jackson. Ravens, though, number two defense on the planet. They're going to face Geno Smith, who's kind of been up, kind of been down as the Seahawks quarterback. Ravens are giving up only 276 yards per game. Ravens defense has got 15 takeaways and 31 sacks. Well, they lead the world in both those categories. Uh, Ravens with Lamar Jackson are averaging 350 yards per game, and they are running the ball, and Jackson's completing 70% of his passes. Boy, Seattle's schedule. They got to play the Ravens, and then still to come in a three week span, they got the Niners, the Cowboys, and the Niners again. Ooh. So, I mean, 
they could really be on a tailspin if they get beat here. But the game, of course, is on the West Coast. Yeah, so this will be a good one. I mean, I'm 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 going to be pulling for the Seahawks in this game. Baltimore is clearly the better team here, but you know they're. I, this, the Seahawks in that 12th man and that, that kind of vibe in that stadium is a lot of fun and it's cool. So we'll see what happens here. Is, is G- Geno Smith going to lead them to victory? We'll find out. Geno Smith's going to face the defense, like I said. He's got all those sacks <laughs> yeah. and all those takeaways. Cowboys-Eagles, NFC East game. Boy, Dak has had back-to-back big games. Dak Prescott, C.D. Lamb is red hot. He's averaging almost 14 yards per catch. Dak is completing 70% of his passes over the last two weeks. Dallas's defense, now Dallas's pass rush is pretty fierce. Um, they got quarterbacks are only completing 58% of their passes against Dallas's defense. Dallas's defense has given up only 287 yards per game. So Jalen Hurt may be running for his life a little bit. But that being said, Philly's defense, they got 25 slacks. 25 sacks, so we'll see if they slow down Dak Prescott. I don't think this is going to be a a fun game in terms of explosive chunk plays because I think these quarterbacks are both going to be under siege. Yeah, I I don't know what to make of Dallas. I mean, some games they look like they set the world on fire, and other times they just get smoked. So, I mean, the Eagles, Jalen Hurts, they're going to be the clear dominant team here. And doesn't it kind of have that feeling like maybe 30 years ago when the NFC East was like the division? Big boy football. Big boy football. So it feels like it's coming back. Bills-Bengals, pretty good matchup. Josh Allen, Joe Burrow. Allen's completing 71% of his passes, but even though he's got over 2,300 all-purpose yards at half a season, he's turned it over 12 times. Burrow looks healthy, back-to-back big games. In fact, since he has won three straight, uh, Jamar Chase, nobody can cover him. Uh, But this schedule is pretty doggone tough uh, for Cincinnati because in this chunk of time here, they get the Bills on Sunday. Then they got to play Baltimore's defense. They got to play Jacksonville, which has become really feisty. So Josh Allen versus Joe Burrow, that'll be a fun game. It'll be a lot of fun. I mean, this is a game that you've kind of figured going in, both teams would be like six and one or something like that. And the the Bengals are... You know, had that rough stretch. They, I think they're better now, right? They beat the Niners. And then the Bills don't seem to be quite as dominant as they were the previous year. So this was this was a key playoff game. This was the 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 um the game where they had that big injury with Hamlin, right? Right. Yeah. So this got a lot of memories and and a, a budding rivalry here. But I'm 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 in on Joe Burrow. I want to see the Bengals rise back up and be a dominant team. So is it true that what I read on social media about you? Did did you text your wife and say because the games out here on the West Coast start at 10 a.m. Did you text her? <laughs> Do not bother me between 10 a.m. and 10 p.m. on Sunday. I'll see you Monday morning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and really, if I count all the college football, it really starts at 9 a.m. on Saturday. Okay. Hey, you like NFL football? You got a statement to make? Jump and join us on Fans Forum. Give us an impression. We'll be jumping to the Fans Forum segment real shortly. Let's go to college football. Kind of unique games here. Kind of put up shut-up games this weekend. Well, I know one of them is one that you've been talking about for a while, that SC is finally going to be facing one of these big Pac-12 teams. 
USC Washington Huskies. What a matchup. The Heisman Trophy hopefuls. Caleb Williams, over 2,600 yards passing. He's thrown for 25 touchdowns. Michael Penix, 2,900 yards passing. He's thrown for 24 TDs. I think USC's defense, and this is a weird thing to say, USC's defense, I think, is better uh, than Washington's defense, at least in terms of big plays. They get sacks and they get takeaways. The Trojans' defense does, but they give up volumes yeah. of big yards. I can't believe you're praising the SC defense. Yeah. This this one is a throwing contest between Penix and Caleb Williams, and one of these guys will probably move to the forefront of the Heisman. The other one will probably drop. Yeah, give me Washington in this game. That's who I want. Dogs to beat the Trojans. Yeah. Uh, Arizona-UCLA, this is really interesting. Arizona's done a really good job as they get ready to jump into the Big 12 Conference. Uh, Jed Fish has done a really nice job in terms of what they've got talent-wise, depth-wise, athletic-wise. UCLA's defense just, they they play like crazed dogs. Uh, UCLA's defense is giving up 267 yards a game in college football. 267. They got 27 sacks. They got 19 takeaways. Noah Fafita, Arizona's freshman quarterback. Uh Uh-oh, here they come. The guy's wearing blue. Uh, I think UCLA is going to smack them. I mean, has Arizona football ever been, like, really successful? Not not on a consistent, real-time basis. They've had a few good years, but... Not consistently, but I think Jed Fish has done a really good job importing players, transfer portal, a lot of speed on that team. But boy, UCLA, despite their up and down productivity at quarterback, UCLA's defense is just, they've never played this kind of defense in a in a long period of time. So UCLA should probably win this game. And then the third game is Boise Fresno State. Uh, Boise's only four and four. They've 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 really had erratic quarterbacking. They've had some injuries. But they're all healthy. Fresno's quarterback, Mikey Keene, is back. Uh, Boise's got the run game. They're going to have to run the football, I think, to keep Mikey Keene and the Bulldog offense off the field. You know, Fresno is 7-1 and one and right now kind of in the driver's seat of the Mountain West Conference. Yeah. I mean, geez, we thought the, the <coughs> Aztecs were going to be relevant this year. What a disaster. But yeah, Fresno, you know, they've had a number of years. I remember one year USC was in the top 10 and Fresno beat them. <laughs> you know, so they, they have an interesting history. Um, you know, and is this going to be at Fresno? Yep. That's a tough place to play. And really good coach, Jeff Tedford. I yeah. Mean, he's seen everything there is in college football. He's... He's one of the vibrant coaches in the Mountain West. So that's what's going on in college football. You tell us, who do you think is going to win USC versus Washington? Let's do something different here. Final topic on the table before we jump to fans' form. Breeders' Cup. Hacksaw covers it all. I'll tell you what. Breeders' Cup. Breeders' Cup Classic. Friday, Saturday, Santa Anita. This, this classic field has been turned upside down. It's been a horrible week. At Santa Anita. The race is now very suddenly, it's wide open because of injury, illness, and death. Practical move. One of the top three-year-olds suffered a heart attack while training on Tuesday, died on the track. Archangelo was retired to stud. This is the Belmont Stakes winner with a foot injury, shipped out, is not going to be able to run. Career is over. Kentucky Derby winner, Mage, was scratched from the Breeders' Cup Classic, developed a fever, and that horse is not going to run. National Treasure, the Preakness winner, was supposed to run, got pulled out, is going to run instead in the Breeders' Cup Mile on Dirt. 
And then if the week wasn't bad enough, what happened yesterday, Go Rocket Ride um, suffered a terrible breakdown in training, had to be euthanized on the track. Uh, so we're, we're talking right there. That is five marquee horses that were supposed to be in the Breeders' Cup Classic, which is the marquee event in the 14-event calendar. All those those top five horses are all gone for a wide variety of reasons. And the, de- the pall of death at Santa Anita has just kind of overwhelmed everybody. So I don't know what what we're going to look at. Um, I think there's a horse that won uh, the Dubai Classic, and that's the one that's the remainder of, of any big names that are out there that can probably run in the in the Breeders' Cup. So what should have been a phenomenal event with all the Triple Crown winners, they're all gone. Well, one of those horses was retired to stud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not a bad way to go out. No, that's, you're talking about Archangel. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the, the Breeders' Cup, is this a, um, does this race kind of rotate around the United States? Yeah. Because yeah. it's not always at Santa Anita. No, it's it's been back and forth. And it's actually, it's been out here at Del Mar, too. So it's part of a bidding process. But, you know, we have the Triple Crown races, the Derby, Preakness, Pimlico. Uh, and then we have all this off period of time. And then we have the Breeders' Cup right the first week in November. It's a really special event. But this is one of the strangest Breeders' Cup classic events because all the marquee ones are not there. Wow. Oh, interesting. So I'm going to tune in. I think that there, you know, you got to find it, the race at the right time because it's usually like the seventh or eighth race of the day, right? Yeah, well, this one will be the last one. It's like 5.30 or 6 o'clock okay. on, on Saturday. Breeders' Cup classic. Hey, we think that we're doing really well with this, and we're glad that you're part of our team now. Uh, our Thursday podcast, our Monday bonus podcast, brought to you by Dixon Line Lumber and Home Center Stores. Build it. Fix it. For fall and Christmas, we guarantee we will enjoy it. Should I call home and say I won't be home till Sunday? Look at all these people and fans form. Go ahead, John. Fire away. Okay, let's go here to Javier. He says, hey, if you think the Padres are bad last year, imagine no Soto, Hater, and Snell. Well, that's what I, John and I argued about this. I had to yell at the guy out in left field uh, who's always cheerleading Padre baseball. I mean, if, if this payroll cut takes place and they have to trade Soto because it's a dollar deal, they're not going to get back what they traded away. Uh, and if if they can't bid any longer on Snell nor Hader, that's three core players gone. And I hate be a harbinger of bad things to come, but pitchers coming off surgeries, you don't know what you Darvish is going to be like. And you better hope that Musgrove does ha- not have another setback with a shoulder capsule because that's a really dangerous injury. And then you got the the back end three in the starting rotation. Have to pay them all sixteen million dollars a year. I'm not sure those guys are worth sixteen million a year. So suddenly, this is not the same full roster that we had before. Yeah, I mean, it got a lot of money tied up in the Fab Four, and doesn't leave a lot left, you know, for those back end of the rotation guys. I mean, we got to bring back Chris Denorfia, you know, get some guys on on the minimum for the major league minimum. But um, yeah, this this is going to be really bad. It could be really bad if they have to cut the payroll down because then it'll be the, the Fab Four and then a bunch of you know nobodies. See, the reality is, if indeed they're cutting us payroll, you would normally say, well, hacksaw. If they're going to have to trade Soto, that's $30 million that won't go to Soto, go to somebody else. But no, they're trading the $30 million because they get to take this dollar value of the budget down. Right. That's the big issue there. And, 
you know, well, we'll use Snell's money. Well, you can't because that goes into having to cut the payroll $50 million, And Hader goes into the fact he won't be here. Exactly. So it's a big issue. We move on. Next question, John. Okay, let's go to Raul. He says, where do you see the Raiders at the end of the season? In the toilet. <laughs> Can you say last place, baby? Yeah. <laughs> a disaster. Uh, historically, Mark Davis has always looked at the shiny object out there. I got to have that player. You know, and a Raider fan, drunk as he is, oh, this is great. And it always blows up in their face. You know, just look at the Raiders' one loss record under Mark Davis, what it was prior with Al Davis. Like I say, silver and bleak. Uh, you know, maybe Harbaugh's the guy, but you need a general manager comes in. You got salary cap issues. I, you know, they don't have a hell of a lot of talent on that roster because the draft got screwed up because. The shiny object coach, John Gruden, they gave him player personnel power. You go back and look at the Gruden drafts, hardly any of those guys are here. Some of them are out of the NFL. Some are with other teams. Two of them are in jail. Bad, bad (laughs) scenario. I I hate to bring you bad news, but you're the one that wants to wear silver and bleak, so there it is. (laughs) Have you got any insight on, from a business perspective, how the Raiders are doing since they've moved to Vegas? I would imagine their ticket sales are way up. Yeah, they are, and fans are selling their tickets in Vegas. So Mm. when Green Bay comes in, there is a lot of green and yellow in the stands. But the resale value on on Raider tickets, from what I gather, is pretty doggone high. But I just wonder when Raider fans are ever going to wake up or get sober (laughs) and wake up and understand, God, this is a bad product. Okay, John, next question. Okay, let's go here to Angel. He says, TV contract's going to be interesting, not just the Padres, but I could see a few Bally's and other regional folding. I'll be surprised if Bally San Diego still exists same time next year. Well, MLB took over the Padres, then took over the Diamondbacks. I've been told... That, that the fallout from Bally and their corporate entity, Diamond Sports, is worse in bankruptcy now than anybody realized. I was told that there are 16 teams that MLB will seize and take over between now and January. So they will have streaming rights to 16 teams, which means then they'll go into the national advertising market and they'll say, we're selling you your spots are going to run on Padre Baseball, Indian Baseball, Pirate Baseball, Reds mm-hmm. Baseball, Diamondbacks, Texas Rangers, whoever else was under that Bally umbrella. But they're going to have 16 teams. It's not the 30 that they wanted because the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Red Sox, who are very successful networks, said, no, we're not giving you our rights back because we invested, we built our regional sports networks, and they're very, very viable. But they got. I think by opening day, there'll be 16 teams under the MLB banner. And, you know, all we need to do is look at what they did when, when they seized the Padre broadcast. Padre telecasts are very popular, and they got good ratings, and everybody likes those play-by-play guys. So, you know, they're going to keep all these other broadcast teams in place. It'll just be run through MLB TV. Yeah, everyone loves Don and Mud. Sure. Hey, let's let's get Blake Snell. And maybe we can put him in the booth too. So, <laughs> um, isn't it amazing though that we've been talking about how all these rules changes in baseball have been so successful? There's more people at the at the games. T- attendance league wide is up. I mean, especially at the Padres at Petco, um, the games are faster. There's more excitement. But then at the same time. The, these regional sports networks are going bankrupt. The TV ratings for the World Series are way down. 
So you're getting these mixed messages on the financial health of MLB. Well, I think the only mixed message is it was two teams that nobody could identify with. Texas hadn't done it in 62 years. It's not a national brand. And the Diamondbacks showed up because they earned it, but there's nothing sexy about that. Had it been Atlanta Braves versus Texas, had it been Dodgers versus Texas, hell, if it had been if the Padres hadn't underachieved against Texas, maybe it would have been different. And I, I, I guess I'm saying you need marquee names with brand. You need the Yankees, you need the Mets, you need the Dodgers to be part of this whole thing come World Series time. But it is stunning. As, as electric as the playoff games were and all the late rallies and the home runs and all, all that, the worst TV ratings all time in a World Series for every one of these games, starting with Game 1 wow. through what happened on Wednesday night. Tough call. Okay, let's move on here. This is a question here from Steve. He says, Lee, do you think Wander Franco will play with the Rays or even in MLB again? What's well, interesting, he was taken off the administrative leave list today, Thursday morning, and put back on Tampa Bay's 40-man roster. The investigation of his involvement with minor girls in relationships is not completed. But baseball has allowed him now to come back. And I would assume there still will be some form of discipline handed to this guy sometime during the course of the offseason. And I think that, you know, once that is sorted out, what he did, what he didn't do, what was rumored, what whatever, he'll probably be part of Tampa Bay. But it's one of the reasons Tampa Bay faltered at the end of the season is their star shortstop was gone because they ripped him off the roster because of what he did. It's amazing. We talk sports and half of it is what happens off the field. You know, it's like TMZ, you know, and, and it's these guys who keep getting into trouble. I mean, when are they going ever going to learn? Well, I think the shocker is, I mean, these players have to know that some of these other players who got in trouble are out of baseball. And Pittsburgh Pirates had a closer that was really good, a left-handed pitcher, Fernando Vasquez. He's mm. in prison because he had a relationship with a 13- and 14-year-old girl over a two-year period. Unbelievable. Everybody in baseball knew that, and yet Wander Franco and these guys get themselves involved off the field. He's involved with three minors in the Caribbean. Oh, God. So Come that's on, where we're, we'll see where the story goes. Okay, let's move on. Let's go to uh, M. Allen. He says here, I love one straight hour of hockey talk from the <laughs> franchise. I'll tell you what, we got there's two storylines in hockey right now that's grabbed everybody's attention. Uh, the tragic death of the Pittsburgh Penguin player, Adam Johnson, who went to play in England in the English Elite League and got hit at center ice and a clean check, fell down, got a skate cut on his neck and died. Mm. He's 29 years of age. Uh, it has set off red flags everywhere in pro hockey. Uh, each of the leagues, starting with the NHL meeting with the union this week uh, and the minor leagues, are trying to determine whether or not they should mandate immediately a rule that every player wears what they call a neck guard which is padding. It's almost like a turtleneck sweater mm -hmm. so that those guys won't suffer the potential of a skate cut that severs an artery. It was a terrible story. So that's one story. The other story is what's happened up the road. You know, the Anaheim Ducks have won five games in a row. Really? Nice. Led by Leo Carlson, the number one pick. Mm -hmm. Troy Terry had a hat trick. Four of them were on the road. They wow. won four road games in a row, came home, and then won their fifth straight. The Ducks are playing really, really well right now. I don't know whether this keeps up because guys get hurt, et cetera, but they're kind of off and running. The Kings are playing well, so that's where we're in hockey. 
you know, it's it's funny that that um, M. M. Allen rec- brings this up. I mean, it would be kind of fun just to have a podcast all about hockey, you know, because people are starving for that kind of information. And who knows hockey better than you? I volunteer. <laughs> well, maybe we'll do some specialty programs as we go. Okay, a couple more here. Let's go to Brett. He says, the Bidwells are a joke and always have been. Should have stayed in St. Louis. Well, they, they moved to Arizona right right after I left to come here to be the voice of the Chargers. And franchise has not been very good for a long period of time. They did have stretches, obviously, uh, with, with the success of Mike Martz. Uh, and then they had, you know, the success uh, with Kurt Warner <coughs> right at the end. But uh, in the bigger picture, they've not been run very well. And this guy comes off as being a tyrant. This is really a terrible story about Michael Bidwell. And I, I spin back to what I said early on. When's the NFL going to do something about these kind of owners who act this way and run their business this way and treat their employees this way? Because that's really deplorable stuff. Yeah, it's just a, just a mess. And it's just incredible how there are these bad owners and they continue to make bad decisions about how they run their business. And like you say, the NFL just sort of puts up with them. So is this the, the billionaire privilege? You think is that what's going on here? It's big business. There's yeah. no doubt about it. But somewhere along the line, I mean, in the history of the NFL, we have had owners who have been removed. There was an owner, Leonard Tose, in Philadelphia that was involved in gambling. Out. Mm. Uh, Jerry Richardson, the founder of the Carolina Panthers, was involved in a lot of sexual misconduct and the way he treated women as organization. Suddenly, franchise was sold. Uh, Eddie DeBartolo, the most famous owner. Oh, yeah. I mean, he built that 49er empire in the Bill Walsh, George Seifert era. He got involved in a bribery scandal in Louisiana. He was forcibly removed. So there is precedent to take these guys out. Um, the, the stuff in Washington was hideous, and it took him three years to finally get Daniel Snyder to sell that team. This is pretty, pretty irresponsible, too. And there's no call for it except that's him and that's him is a bad sign for people that work for him. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, just it's just a really <laughs> sad story. Hey, can we get a couple of social media comments in here? Hey, they joined us, so let's hear what they've got to say. All right, like there's a couple of good ones here. Um, here, so just this is a good one for about what you about you hacksaw. He says hacksaw is the best in the business. So happy that he has embraced social media and brought his talent to the internet. Well, it's cool that we did this. This thing has exploded. We're hoping to expand. We got some, we think, some pretty exciting stuff that we're going to tell you about uh, down road, and we want you to join our team. If you go to my website, leehacksawhamilton.com, right on the homepage, there's something really cool at the top of my homepage where you join our team, and we have details that will be coming out. But once you know, once you join our team, send us your email. You'll be getting notifications on a whole pile of kind of unique and different things. But you are right. We are bleeping brilliant. I'm sorry. I'm not going to apologize for being good at what I do. <laughs> You're the franchise. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, let's, uh, here's a Coach Prime comment. Um, and this is about, you know, your comments about how he was handling, you know, this this lack of talent on the line. And, and and according to Be New Man, he says, your suggestions make no sense. Dion is stuck with a line that is undersized. When your team is smaller and weaker than your opponent, you don't try and match their strength. You use your speed and try to run them out of the building. Problem is, these top teams are fast, too. It's not like Colorado can trade for linemen. They work um, with what they have. Terrible suggestions quote, line up tight ends and put more people up front, end quote. Well, what you do is you change your offense a little bit. You need to protect that quarterback. That's his kid. 42 sacks 
in seven games. It's ridiculous. So what you do is you bring a second tight end or an H back in, and you plant him next to the left tackle, or he blocks in the backfield. You have to protect the quarterback so the kid can make some plays down the field, and it's gotten just progressively worse and worse. And I understand Coach Prime, you know, tough guy. We all play this game, and we can handle this. Well, his kid's been sacked 42 times and has been in the hospital, and that's that. I think it's really unfair to the kid. I understand their system. You try to match speed and create mismatches. They can't run the damn ball at all, and it can't pass block because they got everybody out in the formation. Change what you're doing. You keep one extra receiver in, make him, make him a double tight end, and protect the kid, give the kid a chance to actually make plays down the field to what speed guys you got out there. If I were a coach, that's what I'd do. Well, you, you can't showcase your speed if you're always under siege. You know, when you're running for your life. So I think they need to do both. I think, you know, he's right. They got to show, they got to exploit the talent they have, but they're going to need some more help to do it. And that might be one less weapon in the, in the, um, in the receiver core. Sam Bertigliano, longtime coach, Cleveland Browns, friend of mine, good guy, had the favorite term about quarterback sacks. It's tough to complete passes downfield. When your quarterback is in horizontal trade rest. <laughs> yeah, that's a name from the past, Sam yeah. Ritigliano. Uh, good for you. When, when was he the coach? That was before Marty Schottenheimer. It was the cardiac kids, Brian Seip and all that. Yeah. So Okay, let's do one or two more here. One or two more. Let's, uh, let's go here to the NBA. And um, this was a comment about the Clippers and the Lakers from Jade. It says, great take, Lee, but it's still the Nuggets and Bucks season to lose. They're too consistent, have no national drama, distractions, and have clean stars who stay out of trouble. Favorite phrase in the NBA now is three on three. Everybody's got to have three superstars. And you look at what's happened in the NBA, what Boston did, what Milwaukee did. What the Lakers have, what the Clippers have just gotten, those are the marquee teams. But you need three big stars to be able to compete at this point in time. And you are correct. Giannis and Dame in Milwaukee, that's pretty damn good. And you look at what Boston's acquired to go with Tatum and Brown, that's pretty effective. The Lakers obviously have got the two superstars and a lot of role players. And the Clippers have just gotten three established guys. Now, the Clippers have to keep them all on the floor healthy, and then the Clippers have to see if they can play together because last I checked, you can only use one basketball at a time. But that's what the NBA's become. Big three, three on three. If you got three stars, chance to compete. Have you seen any of the San Antonio Spurs games with Wemby? Oh, yeah. And they're a lot of fun. He's a talented kid. Oh, yeah. He, he'll grow, and he's going to go through a tough learning curve, and we'll just see how he holds up. Because mm-hmm. as the season wears on, it's going to get more physical. It's going to get tougher. You know. But they came from behind the other night in Phoenix. It's a big, big story. They were down 20, and they came back in the fourth quarter, and they beat the Suns with Wemby. Wow. So that was pretty impressive, but it only counts as one win. Well, and then there's also Chet Holmgren, isn't he? He healthy again, He's right? He's in Oklahoma City, and he played very well out of the gate. They don't have enough around him yet. Mm-hmm. They're in just kind of the rebuild mode in Kansas City. Yeah, just these tall, skinny guys are kind of fun to watch. Let's get another comment here. How about Phil Nevin? Um, this is a uh, from uh, Ghost Dog. 
He says, the Angels were badly plagued by injuries this year, and this was not Nevin's fault. But I wanted the guy out almost as soon as he took over after he put in Wentz as a, quote, opener, only to have him intentionally throw at two Mariners. It was a Bush League nonsense, and Nevin is 100% in the wrong. Win or lose, that's just not the type of ball I'm a fan of. Well, Phil, no, Phil's old school baseball. Phil's a little bit of a hothead. <laughs> Phil's a big clubhouse guy, so he wants to protect his guys. So that's why there are these isolated incidents. Um, at the end of the day, he was a victim. I mean, Phil inherited a bad situation from Joe Madden, and got, it got worse and worse just because of the injuries. I mean, if you look at the number of games that Trout, Rendon, and Otani have missed in the last three years, it's just hopeless. And they're baseball-related injuries. You know, guys injure their calf running out of base hit. Guys crash into the wall, injure a shoulder. Rendon keeps getting hit by pitches because he keeps jamming the plate. It's just baseball, and they've just had a real bad run of luck, and now they have five days. Free agency started this morning Mm. at 9 Mm a.m. Angels, Padres, Dodgers, whatever, they have five days in which they're the only ones that can talk to their guys about Stan. So the Angels have between now and Monday to make their best pitch, their only pitch, their last pitch to Otani. I don't think it's going to do any good, but it's the same thing with the Padres. If they were going to attempt to keep Snell or keep Hader, between now and Monday, this is the time to make your best offer. Because then, the effective next Monday... The whole world becomes free agents, and then every the, everything changes. Yeah, this is at a crazy time in the sport because we start seeing these announcements kind of flying, plus all the MVP and Rookie of the Year announcements are coming. But, you know, this Nevin thing, throwing at ballplayers, yeah, you know— it, 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 it's part of the game, you know, it's part of the history of the game. And I'll tell you what, there were times last year with the, with the Padres that you wish that would have happened, that there was something that was going to fire up the team and to get them passionate. But it seems like, you know, Machado is a professional. He's out there grinding, working every day, you know, tough at bats and, you know, but, but losing that emotional edge and maybe Nevin is what they need to kind of kick them in the butt. Well, those were accidental hit by pitches. Guys get jammed, break your hand, mm-hmm. hammock bone, whatever it is. I don't think those were the cases where my guy's going to go out the next inning and he's going to dot somebody at home plate in retaliation for my guy getting hit. Now, when you throw at guys after preceding batter hits a home run, you do want somebody to stand up and protect your star players. And sometimes bench clearers become unifying moments for a franchise. But at the same time, there's a risk somebody's going to get <laughs> Yeah, somebody just gets stepped up at the bottom of the pile. <laughs> so you don't, you got to be very careful when you do that stuff. But it is, it is part of the code of baseball. If you're going to bean my guy after the preceding batter hit a three-run home run, just prepared, your leadoff guy is going to get plunked. That's just the way we do our business. But you don't, you just don't throw at guys because one of your guys got hit on an inside pitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, he either got away or he was jamming the plate and got hit on the hand. You remember the bench-clearing brawl between the Padres and the Dodgers about five, six years ago? Andy Green was the manager, and he had his press conference afterwards. And he was I thought this was a great Andy Green moment because he said, hey, we don't have the team now, 
but we're coming. We've got, we're building our minor league system. Our ownership is committed. We're coming. And we not, may not beat you today, but we're going to beat you down the road. And he was a prophet. He, he, I mean, Andy Green had it right. The poor guy just couldn't outlast, you know, you know working through these tank seasons. Um, but to me, when there, there's a, there is a line you don't want to cross when you're trying to bean guys, but it is part of the game. And I think there's a way to do it that is still within bounds of how the game should be played. And you can still use it as an opportunity to fire up your team and get them focused on trying to crush the other guy. You can pick and choose, but it has to be few and, and far between. Speaking of Andy Green, Cubs bench coach for Dave Ross, Andy mm-hmm. Green interviewed Cleveland and yesterday interviewed New York Mets. So he's getting a look. Good for him. Hey, listen, we hope you have enjoyed our Thursday podcast as we go towards this great sports weekend. Our podcasts are brought to you by Dixieland Lumber and Home Center Stores, nine locations in San Diego to serve you. You got projects. You got a best friend in Dixieline. Build it. Fix it. We guarantee you will enjoy it. John, have yourself a great sports weekend. We'll see you during the Monday bonus podcast coming off this NFL and college football weekend. Yeah, I'll tell you what, baseball's over. I'm going to have a lot of free time on my hands in the evenings. In the evenings? Yeah. But from 10 a.m. till 10 p.m. Yeah. On Sunday, you'll be tied well, On up. Sunday, it's a different story. Hey, thanks for being with us. Hope you enjoyed everything we bring your way. Do subscribe. Do check out my website. And thanks for being part of Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.